This is Talk of the Town, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Our topic today, the Mohawk River and Erie Canal. In our area, the canal pretty much is in the Mohawk River. A long stretch of the Mohawk River between, let's say, Niskayuna and Herkimer has been, funny word here, canalized or canalized. That was not the way it was in 1825 when the first Erie Canal was built from Albany to Buffalo. Then the canal was a separate ditch built alongside the Mohawk River. The Mohawk is a mighty stream, and the reasonable fear back then was if the engineers put the canal in the river, they would risk horrendous flooding. That opinion changed in the early 1900s, when the state decided to risk putting the canal in at least part of the river. Technology had improved. The state wanted the canal to handle more freight and bigger barges to compete with the railroads and other canals for freight. One of the ways the engineers tackled the problem was by building bridge dams. Our guest is Michael Riley. Michael Riley grew up in Pattersonville, along the Mohawk River Erie Canal, and now lives in Port Byron, a former port on the Erie Canal in Cayuga County. Michael Riley is author of the book Bridge Dams on the Mohawk, David A. Watts' Marvelous Creation. Michael is president of the American Canal Society, board member of the Canal Society of New York State. Michael Riley, what is a bridge dam? <laughs> the bridge dams are those marvelous structures you see in the Mohawk Valley. Um, they're strictly, there's a couple outside the Mohawk Valley, but they're, when you're driving along the thruway or if you're driving along Route 5 or 5S, you see these large green bridges spanning the Mohawk River. Um, there's one in Rotterdam Junction. There's one in Cranesville. There's one in Amsterdam at Guy Park. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are a type of navigation dam. Um, so the, what happens is the, the bridge holds the dam framework, and so they can raise and lower the, uh, the dams and get them out of the way of the, uh, the ice and the heavy flows in the Mohawk. Um, so they're a very unique structure. Um, they're not found anywhere else in the world. Um, at one time, they were very much in fashion, but now they're, uh, they're kind of antiques. And um, I think we're very lucky to have them in the Mohawk Valley. Mm. And you've kind of did, but how do, how do they work and what do they do? Well, the whole purpose of them was um, because, I mean, everybody in the Mohawk Valley is very well aware of the fact that the Mohawk Valley, you know, you have these great floods. um, You have in the wintertime, you have these huge ice chunks that form. And so, you know, if if you go way back in time um, when they, they were thinking about building the Erie Canal, I mean, the Mohawk River was a natural corridor. It's a it's a west-east uh, running river. It sort of cuts through the, um, the the mountain chain, and it's a it's a very level route to get from the the Hudson River to the Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. But they knew. I mean, the, the the earlier people knew that trying to make use of that river to make it a, a, a usable stream for large barges um, would be impossible. So that's why you built the, the, the Erie Canal, the original Erie Canal, alongside the river. Um, then in about the 1900s, they decided that they would 
um, make use of the river again. They thought that they had the technology, they had the um, the materials, the steel work and the iron work, and they would make use of the river again. So they took the they just basically moved the Mohawk or the Erie Canal into the Mohawk River by using these dams and um, to get away from the problem of having these ice flows wipe out any type of fixed dam that they might build in the river, they just decided to use this this one dam that they found in the um, Czech Republic. Um, they decided that they would use this as a model, and they would hang the dam from these bridges. So the bridge work that you see, you know, I remember as a kid, I'd be driving by and I'd say to my father, why is that bridge there? Why is there no, mm-hmm. you know, why can't we drive across it? And he said, well, they, they were thinking about building a bridge, but they, they didn't, you know, they just never used them. And that wasn't exactly correct. So they, um, but the, the bridge itself is the framework that holds the dam. And I, I think they, it's well publicized. They, they, they alert everybody in the springtime that they're going to lower the dams. And they, and what they do is they lower these, these big arms that come down from the dam, from the bridge, and they rest against a concrete sill in the river. And then they lower these big steel plates, these pans they call them, they get lowered down one at a time, and they slowly back up the water. And when the dams are all in place, they have these navigation pools, are called. And what happens, and that allows the, the boats to safely use the river. Mm. If What did you call the metal plates? You said... Uh, they call them pans. Um, early days, um, if, when I was doing my first study, they always called them the bully gates. And it was after a French engineer, and um, and if you look back at the early days of uh, when they're they're building the the barge canal through the Mohawk, um, they're always calling them buoy gates. They're calling them bridge dams with buoy gates, and uh, but nowadays they they tend to call them pans. And they're the big mm-hmm. steel. They're they're about ten foot tall and about thirty foot wide, and they're just these very large steel plates that they they slowly mm-hmm. can lower into the water, and they just they just slowly back up the river. So that's why in the wintertime when you see the river, it's it, you can almost see, like, you know, it almost looks like you can walk across it because it's so shallow. You can see all the rocks and you, and you see a lot of the dirt from the, um, you know, where stuff's not growing. And then in the summertime, you'll see that the water is back up to a certain level and it's all very beautiful looking because the water's up to the trees and, you know, you have these very nice level um, pools of water for the boats to use. Now, was Boulay uh, the the Frenchman who developed that those metal plate things? Is that the idea? Or? Yeah, yeah. The, um, the the whole my the purpose the reason I did this book was I, I um, was I made a post one day on Facebook. And um, I was I was down there looking at the the new park there, uh, Lock Thirteen, that's on the throughway. And there's a beautiful park there at the Thruway and the, and the Canal Corporation had built um, at the Welcome Center there. And I went over and I snapped a picture of uh, Lock 13 there, and I, I made a post, and I said, here is the, the uh, one of these bridge dams, or the only place you can find them in the world is on the Mohawk River. And I had a friend from who was the president of the Canadian Canal Society, and he wrote to me and said, oh, not so fast. He says, these are... Um, there is a, one of these, at least in, in, in Manitoba, and that got me thinking. And then I went to a, um, a World Canals Conference in Syracuse, and lo and behold, here's another picture of a, a one in Canada. So I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, 
what's going on here? Is this the only ones? Is, 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 are there more of these? How many of these are, are still in use? And that's what started this book about two years ago. It started basically as a little article I was going to write, and it just kept expanding and expanding the more I learned and the more fascinating it came. So it you know, took two years to do this. Mm. But the, the bridge dams were their, their creation. They started about 1870. Um, when a French engineer um, des- designed them for a situation very much like the Mohawk River. You had a very fast-moving river during the springtime with heavy flows. Um, it had a very rocky bottom. And um, he knew that the current uh, dams in use at the time, these, these what they called trestle dams, uh, which had been in use since the 1830s, he knew they would not hold up. So they, um, so they, they, he decided he would hang these, this dam from the bridges. And lo and behold, about 30 years later, when the, when the Bards Canal, when the engineers are thinking about Bards Canal, they, they came along and said, that's what we need right there. And they um, improved on the design and, um, and brought them to New York State. You spoke, Michael, of taking a picture at Lock 13 in Randall, New York, which is an historic stop westbound on the New York Thruway. A personal note, my mother was born in Randall, and she was born in 1913 when the bridge dam between Randall and Yost's on the other side of the river had just been completed. And then a story all too familiar to us today uh, took place. There was a big flood at Lock 13 in 1913, and Lock tender James Breslin had to risk his life to raise the bridge dam? Yes, uh, it's it's a fascinating story that I just happened to come across. Um, in 1913, there was this huge winter storm that came up from the Gulf, and it's much like we're seeing today with the weather pattern, where there's just this stream of moisture coming up from the Gulf, and this and the storm was coming up, and unbeknownst to the the, the people who were building the Bards Canal. Um, they didn't know the storm was on its way, and they started lowering the gates at, at Yost and at Tribes Hill. And the reason they were lowering it is because the, the dam was ready, but the, the river itself still had to be dredged. And the contractor, was, he wanted to get an early start, so he wrote to the state and said, can we get an early start, get in there and get going um, by lowering the dam so I have a, a pool of water which to float my dredge. And the state said, okay, you know, there's no ice in the river. We're, we're good to go. And so they, they started lowering the dams at Yost, which is Lock 13, and at Tribes Hill, which is Lock 12. And they're, they're lowering them down. And meanwhile, this, um, this, this floodwaters are coming from the, you know, from the west. It's, just, it's almost like a, you couldn't write it any, any better. Um, the, 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 the rains are coming. The floodwaters coming. So they, they have the dams about halfway down, and they notice the water is rising very quickly in the river. And so they decide, okay, let's stop. Let's leave the lower set of gates, the pans, in the water, but we'll raise the upper set, and that'll, that'll just, you know, let the water spill over. And so they, they did that. They left the dams in place, and they went home, and they came back the next morning, and, and they, the, all the debris that had washed down the river from the contractors, you've got to remember that the, uh, the entire Mohawk Valley is under construction at the time. There, there's every lock, every docking wall, there, every bridge, there's some contractor in there building something. So all this debris washes down the river, 
and, and collects against this dam at Yost. And so they come back in the morning and they find that the entire structure, the, the lock, the, the walls, everything are under two feet of water. And, and the, the bridge itself, the dam's out in the middle of the river, sort of as its own island. And they don't know what they're going to do. So they, um, somehow they get, away, they get around from the Randall side to the, to the, to the north side of the river. And uh, they, ha- they find a little rowboat there. And, and this guy takes this rowboat, he, he jumps in it, he paddles himself out into the flood, into the debris, and he's got like one chance to, to grab a hold of the chains that are the hanging down before the boat gets swept into the debris and gets swept in and he gets killed. He, he jumps in, this James Breslin does this, he jumps up and he, and he gets a hold of the chain, he climbs up the dam, and then he makes it. So the next guy says, well, if he made it, I can make it. So they, they pull the boat back. They must have had a rope or something. They pull the boat back. And, they, and, the, and the next guy does the same thing. Which is, it's, it's hard to believe anybody nowadays would do something like that. And then what they do is they fire up the, 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 the steam winch, which is up on the bridge, and they get a boatswain's chair, and they just start hauling people from the train tracks that are there on the north side of the river. The guys are standing there, and they just haul these guys up one at a time up to the dam, and then they just spend the next two days pulling debris out of the dam trying to get the, the floodwaters to go down. Wow. And um, I thought it was a fascinating story. It's, it's, um, I, I tried to find the, the Breslin family. I did find, I, 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 go on, I went on Ancestry and I looked for family trees, and I, I was able to get a hold of her granddaughter, and that story had never made it down through mm-hmm. um, the family lore. And I asked for a picture of James Breslin, and I could never find one. So it's, um, he's just just this sort of little moment in history that, you know, adds a little bit of a human element to these dams. We're talking with Michael Riley, author of the book Bridge Dams on the Mohawk, subtitled David A. Watts' Marvelous Creation. I haven't asked about him. Who's he? <laughs> David Watt was a, um, an English-born engineer. He, um, he came over to the United States I think around the uh, 1890s. I'm not quite sure. I mean, he's he's sort of shrouded in mystery. Um, he worked with a, a man um, named Benjamin Franklin Thomas, B.F. Thomas, who was a, an older man, sort of his mentor, and they were working on movable dams. Um, these were being built throughout the Ohio Valley system, the Kentucky rivers. Um, there were a different type of movable dam that I talked about before. They were a, a trestle dam, so they would, um, or a, a, a Shinoe dam. So they, they were a type of, different type of movable dam, but they were doing the same purpose. They were trying to mm-hmm. make all these rivers into navigable canals. And uh, it's, it's a term called canalizing the river. And so he was, he was working when the uh, New York State passed the voters in 1903, they passed this, um, the resolution, the, the law to authorize the building of the Barge Canal. And the state, knowing the unique problems with the Mohawk River, went looking for the best experts they could find. And they came across this David Alexander Watt, or D.A. Watt. And uh, he was a young man, a young engineer. And um, they, they hired him on, and he was the guy who designed those bridges, or the dams, the bridges. Um, he designed many facets of the Barge Canal. Um, 
he never married, well, he married, but he never had kids. And I've never been able to find any members of his family. And I searched for two years trying to put a, put a picture because I always like to put a face with the, the people mm-hmm. I'm investigating. And after two years, I finally found a picture of the man, which I included in the book. Um, in his obituary, he never talk about himself. He talks about these bridges, the, the Bards Canal work that he did. So he was obviously very you know, proud of the work that he had done canalizing the, the, the Mohawk Valley. One thing that occurred to me reading in your, in your book about how the river was canalized, as you say, I mean, you and I, because uh, you grew up in our area, not up in Port Byron, you grew up around Pattersonville, and I grew up in Amsterdam. And so when we, all our lives, uh, what exists in the Mohawk River with these uh, bridge dams is... Uh, is what we're used to. You know, I just wonder, I mean, this maybe it's kind of a dumb question. What was it like before the, you know, when you had the Erie Canal and you also had the river? I mean, the river probably still flooded and, and so forth, or in, and you still had to cross the river. Uh, I wonder if that was an easier time to live or harder. I'm, I'm always, uh, when I think about it, I always think about um, Drums Along the Mohawk, the movie with Henry Fonda. And uh, where they show them sort of like running across the river, how how shallow it was at the time. And uh, even though that was more up by Herkimer, um, the river itself was a very shallow river. Um, it has a huge watershed. It goes all the way down into the Catskill Mountains. It goes all the way up into the Adirondacks. Uh, the headwaters are up by Boonville. Um, so it has this huge watershed, and it's a very flashy stream. So even though, like, the, the, the cities of Amsterdam and Schenectady they built along it, they must have expected that every spring that was going to flood. And, um, you know, the, it, but I found some pictures of them when they were building the Barge Canal. And, you know, because you have all these pictures of the Erie Canal during the late 1800s, early 1900s, but you don't see a lot of the, the Mohawk River because I, I don't think it was as exciting. So during the building of the Barge Canal, you do get some images of the original Mohawk River. And it's a very shallow, it's a very wide stream, um, has a huge uh, a valley across, so it's, you know, when it does flood, it just, you know, the water comes up to a certain level, reaches out into the plains, and then will go back down. But, um, you know, you get the sense that it was a, a, a very shallow, almost, like I say, walk up, you could walk across it. Of course, there were bridges across it, but they weren't what we see today. Um, when they built the barge canal, they, they had to go through, once they got the dams in place, they had to dredge it down to 12 feet. And uh, later, they would have to dredge it down to 14 feet. So what you see today is sort of a, you know, a little bit of a glimpse. And like I say, during the wintertime, mm-hmm. you get a better feeling for what the, what the river looked like. You've been listening to Talk of the Town with our guest, Michael Riley, author of Bridge Dams on the Mohawk, David A. Watts' Marvelous Creation. Our program is heard on Magic 590, plus 100.5 and 96.9 and 1410 in the North Country. This program will be a podcast on albanymagic.com and bobcudmore.com. I'm Bob Cudmore.